0: Simon Deakin, Deputy Director, Centre for Business Research.
1: Simon, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Centre for Business Research podcast series here today. We're looking at how European Union membership affects the UK economy. First of all, is there a business case for staying in Europe?
0: There's definitely a business case for staying in because we benefit from open trading relationships with other European countries that we just wouldn't have if if we weren't inside the EU. And we benefit in all sorts of other ways. The UK benefits from having greater influence in trade negotiations that go on, for example, between Europe, the United States and other countries potentially at any rate like China. So it's critical that we're in both to get access to markets which are our most important markets, markets in mainland Europe, secondly to exercise influence in international trade negotiations.
1: Wouldn't some argue that that actually with the amount of subsidies that EU countries that are doing well are having to give to those who aren't, Greece, Spain, new countries coming in, that actually we're spreading the finances too thinly, we can't afford to be in Europe at a time of austerity?
0: Well, basically, the EU and the IMF are supporting the, the debtor member states to make sure that their economies get back on track. That's actually really essential. But, for... but those
1: subsidies are billions of pounds.
0: Yeah, so basically they're recycled, because if it weren't for these subsidies, then German companies couldn't export to these countries, which they do in a really big way. Therefore, we, we shouldn't think of this as just transferring money to the, the so-called southern economies. It's basically benefiting everybody inside the EU. EU, and it also benefits everybody, to maintain the stability of the euro as a single currency. Because if the euro were not to survive, the unravelling of the single currency zone would potentially be catastrophic, not just for states currently in it, but for the UK too, because these are our major trading partners.
1: So despite the subsidies that we are giving to the southern European countries, it is still benefiting the UK in terms of trade to stay in the European Union.
0: Yeah, so so the EU has been founded on the principle of essentially risk sharing between the member states. And it's basically designed along the lines of the idea that by pooling sovereignty... And by pooling economic resources, we're all better off. And that's pretty much how it's worked ever since the late 1950s for the countries who were the member states. And since the UK became a member in the early 1970s, it's undoubtedly been beneficial for us too. And in particular since the mid-1980s, when the single market began to really take shape. For all those reasons, we've benefited very, very considerably from membership of the EU. We should also bear in mind that if we weren't in the EU, we would in any event have to observe most of the regulations and standards that the European Union produces because these standards following them, is, is very often the condition for being able to trade with the EU member states. So, so
1: standard social policy yeah, standards, include, wages.
0: Not, not not just that. Technical standards in, in, in many, many market settings. and so standards relating to intellectual property and data protection. Right Now, a country like Norway, for example, which is not in the EU, but which is in the European Free Trade Agreement, so trades with European member states, essentially has to take the laws and regulations made by other countries in the EU and accept them as a condition of trading with those European member states. So if we weren't inside the EU, we'd probably have to accept these regulations anyway, but we'd have no say in how they were made.
1: Can you, Simon, back up what you say with evidence? You're an evidence-based policy, Centre for Business Research, based within Cambridge University. Have you got evidence to put behind your words?
0: Well, we we know, we know what works and, and what doesn't work. So we've done a lot of research on what are sometimes called varieties of capitalism. And what's clear is that what what works best is something like the North European, German or Nordic model for how to run a market economy. And this is associated to a very large extent with with the regulations which come out of the EU. So for for the UK to suddenly say, we no longer want to be part of this particular mode of organisation, one in which there is a substantial welfare state, a stable tax base, a lot of government support for innovation and a lot of state support for training. This is the core of the European social model. To say we don't want to be part of that is basically saying we actually do want to be a low-wage economy which can only compete on cutting labour costs to the bone. So that's, that's the choice we're facing.
1: But, but hasn't the EU got a lot wrong? The IMF ha- has talked about having got a report on Greece's economy wrong. The policy makers haven't been making good policy for the rest of us.
0: Right, so they made they made the wrong calls. The, the EU was imposing austerity on the debtor states in a completely counterproductive way. The European Central Bank was much too slow to act, much slower than the Bank of England was to respond to the crisis. And the institutional design of EMU, of Monetary Union, was fundamentally flawed. Now, all those are really good reasons not to be in the EMU. But actually... From the UK's point of view, there's a price to be paid for not being inside it, which is we have absolutely no say over how EMU is to be conducted. Right, so it's no good us sitting on the sidelines complaining to the other EU member states who are inside the eurozone saying put your house in order, do this, do that, they will ignore us, and quite right too, because we're not prepared to get involved, we're not prepared to make an input into policy. We should be on the inside, and if we're unhappy with EMU, we should be arguing for a more efficient and better run EMU, and we would have an awful lot of voice in this process, because we're a major European state, and we would be listened to.
1: That's European Monetary Union... Do you admire anything the policymakers have got right?
0: Well, what the policymakers have recently done is shown a lot of flexibility. So the European Central Bank has shown an awful lot of flexibility lately and intervened decisively to underpin the single currency and to protect it from currency speculation. Now, that should have been done maybe two years before they actually acted. But we have to bear in mind that there was a, a lot of institutional resistance to the bank doing this. Now, in the end, they did the right thing. The Court of Justice has done the right thing by validating the bank's intervention in a judgment called, called Pringle, The European Commission is edging towards a realisation that the austerity policy simply has no credibility. And it has no credibility because it's A, counterproductive, deficits are getting bigger, and B, it's socially divisive. Right, so the Commission is showing some movement, and frankly it's showing more movement than our own government on these issues.
1: And one particular policy strand that you think will make a difference?
0: Well, the European Commission and the Council are now talking about something they call the social dimension of EMU, Economic and Monetary Union. So they realise that we cannot build a sustainable economy going forward by simply dumping the risks of economic change onto workers and onto the poorest and weakest in society. And that's a fundamental recognition. And we are seeing that the terms of trade in this debate really beginning to shift. And this will isolate the UK even more. We will be the only people soon, I think, arguing for austerity. The Japanese are no longer arguing for it, the Chinese never did in this recession, the Americans didn't either.
1: The global economy, the rise of the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, Japan, we've got other trading partners, we don't need the EU.
0: That's that's true, but of course the, the, the BRICS are moving in the opposite direction to us. They don't accept austerity policy, They don't accept the idea of an automatically self-adjusting market. They don't accept a lot of neoliberal policy. They accept the need to build social policy into their their economic growth models. They, They understand the need for an activist state to model the development process. They will not be happy with neoliberal economic policies which underplay the role of the state and the role of politics in this process. They will more naturally look to Germany and to France and to other European countries as trading partners. So, again, we don't really want to be on the, on, on the outside of that debate.
1: And if we were to look now at what would happen if the, there was a no vote in terms of the UK, if Cameron renegotiated the terms, we held a referendum, and then people said no, would the UK come out of Europe, or would it just be right. England?
0: There wouldn't be a UK because it's it's fairly clear that the Scots and and possibly the Welsh too, if they were able to have a vote, would secede from the UK. And Ireland? That's right. So maybe, maybe maybe Northern Ireland too. So we're, we're not talking about the UK being preserved, but we're talking about the UK being broken up if there's a serious campaign for a no vote, and indeed a no vote. It's very unlikely that there'd be a no vote, I think, because it's not in anybody's interests, and I think that the support for a no vote has been greatly exaggerated. But even raising the possibility, as the British government has done, of a departure from the EU in five or six years' time and threatening to leave as a precondition for negotiation over social policy and other matters is a very slippery slope indeed because it changes the way people will will treat us both within the UK is changing the way the Scottish administration is behaving towards Westminster and it'll also change the way that other European member states treat us we will be even more marginalised.
1: And just finally the way to growth again it, It's to end austerity, put stimulus back into the economy, and to give workers rights?
0: We absolutely have to have a more socially equal society as a basis for long-term growth. We cannot build a modern market economy on low paying casual employment. No other state is doing that. States which are developing the BRIC countries are moving away from that model really very quickly towards a more formal labour market, one with basic protections guaranteed by law, in some cases by, by constitutional provisions. We we're heading in the opposite direction. That's a very bad place to be.
1: Professor Deakin, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Centre for Business Research podcast series here today. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Bonnie.
0: Simon Deakin.